This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, we're back on a Tuesday afternoon edition of Jonathan Taylor Thomas Talks Major League Baseball 2020 Los Angeles Angels Review Edition. John of Fangraphs.com is here. John, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Doing all right. How about yourself? Not too bad. Not too bad. How was, uh, how was your Valentine's weekend, John? Uh, uneventful. Quiet. Or no, I was gonna say solitary, but that sounds too that sounds too like depressing. Well, solitary uh, to seems to have a, uh, a, a, a. I would say solitary seems to be a um, singular activity. If you're in solitary confinement, I don't think usually implies there are two people involved. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, but no, it was, it was very quiet. It was a. I don't know, it's, it, to me, it's not much of a holiday, really. It's just, mm. it's just a. I've never particularly understood Valentine's Day or why it's really a thing, but. Mm. It was it was quiet and uneventful. So did you make this pitch deal. to the the uh, to the lady, John? Uh, no, but I, I didn't <laughs> need to. So it's always a tough pitch. Um, did you get fish or anything? Did fish or get any Valentine's love? Oh, absolutely not. No, no. no. I would have assumed he would have gotten something, John. No, he. I mean, he's a the dogs don't dogs don't care what day it is. They, they don't need. I mean, everyone's looking for an excuse to give their dog more, more love and affection. John, he he gets he gets so much already that I don't even know if he'd really understand extra. You don't think so? I don't he's got a good so. life. It sounds like he's got he's got a good life. Um, John, what have uh, what have you been uh, reading since the last week? What are you what are you diving into as of late? Uh, just catching up on all my overdue, or not overdue, all my old New Yorkers, uh, mostly. That's the majority of it. How far back just, are you going? You know, uh, I, I'm backed up as, like, last March. Mm. So, my, what was I going to say? My, uh, my goal right now is just not to let the current New Yorkers catch up to... <laughs> To the present, or to, or not to get, caught, not to have the current New Yorkers catch up to where I am in the past. Basically, right. I don't want to get lapped, mm-hmm. so just trying to, just trying to make my way through those quickly. Okay, I like it. I like it. Um, well, don't forget, folks, you can listen to this very podcast Monday through Friday on ChaseThomasPodcast.com. And if you're an Apple podcast listener and you're listening right now on your iPhone, leave us a five star rating and a review. John and most notably Fisher the dog would greatly appreciate it. Um, John, there's a there's some sad news items that I want to start with. All right, Edwin 
Encarnacion, who feels like he has been playing baseball forever, um, might not be playing baseball this year because the NL doesn't seem like they are going to adapt um, a universal DH, at least for the 2021 season, because that would make too much sense and give more people jobs. Um, it's probably not going to happen, it seems like. So he said, quote, the decision that there will be no universal DH in the 21 2021 season has greatly affected my chances of signing Encarnacion said I want a team to give me the opportunity to play daily to show that I can still produce um do you think uh this is it because Edwin Encarnacion seems to want to be an everyday player still to this point or do you think uh he'll eventually pop up somewhere maybe it's just in the middle of the season after injuries and things like that yeah, that seems more likely, um, barring the Universal DH coming into existence. The other thing is, even if the Universal DH does come into existence before the season starts, a guy like Edwin Encarnacion, for as good as he has been in the past, and really, last year was his, only, was his first bad year in a while. It's not like this has been like a... I mean, I haven't looked at the underlying metrics, but you know, it's not like this is... I don't think this has been some long, steady decline where it's like, well, of course no one should be employing Edwin Encarnacion. Um, but I, I kind of don't imagine the teams are going to want to pay him anyway. That's kind of the thing I know I met. We, we talked about it a little last week with regards to, or maybe the week before, with regards to kind of what, what the value of the expanded DH to the players union and how the, the league seems to be using it as the carrot for the stick that is expanded playoffs. But the reality is I can't imagine it would lead to that many more jobs anyway. Like, yes, it'd be 15 more DH spots in the National League, but how many of those teams are just going to use whoever they already have on hand as opposed to going out and signing someone like Encarnacion. And I, I don't know for sure. I mean, it, it just depends on which teams feel like they have uh, the personnel to, to fill the DH spot internally anyway. But that kind of veteran hitter especially, unless it's someone like a Nelson Cruz, really isn't going to be getting that much interest anyway. I think, like you said, more likely as someone who kind of gets signed midseason or, or during the year, to to fill in for an injury to someone who's injured as opposed to because the thing with Encarnacion is like he really can't play any other position he is just a DH so I don't know it it, it, it of course limits the market already in the fact that he's already he's also 37 going to be 38 you know that last year was a bad year and that you know older players tend to fall off a cliff it's not just like a you know a gradual descent that's sometimes it just happens all at once. But, yeah, I, I mean, I just have a hard time seeing Encarnacion getting a job right now unless the Universal DH randomly pops up. And even then, I think most teams would probably opt for whatever cheap option they have in-house or a cheap option on the, on the market. Uh, I know he already signed, but, you know, something like – and he's, not a, he's actually a, a decent defender, but someone like an Adam Duvall, for example, would be, I think, more, the, more what teams would be interested in than a 38-year-old who's coming off a bad season and who really cannot play anywhere else because – uh, truth be told, I think if you're an NL team, even if you have the universal DH, ideally whoever is DHing is still someone who can play the field in some capacity. You're probably not going to hand it over to a Nelson Cruz type who just cannot play the field at all unless they're an exceptional hitter a la Nelson Cruz. So, I mean, Encarnacion has been an exceptional hitter, but I, I just I kind of struggle to see who's going to make the move right now given that you know there's not... Uh, I feel it does feel like most teams are pretty set in their in their offseason shopping. I think most teams are pretty well done at this point, and everyone left is probably just waiting to see who who gets who gets hurt and what spots open up. Yeah, I think that's fair, um, but we shall see. 
where uh, where he might end up. Um, also, let's not rule out putting him in the outfield in Cleveland. Cleveland's going to be very boring to watch this year. Let's let's throw him out there. Let's see what happens. Might uh, as well. Yeah, just even with even with however bad he is defensively, he can't be that much worse a total package outfielder than. Um, insert name here then, in the Cleveland outfield. Yeah, like I was gonna say, I I think I'd rather have him out there than like. Can we get him Oscar and Fernando Reyes in the corners? Can we do that? Why would you do that to poor center fielder? <laughs> who even actually? Who even is the the Indian center or the, who even is Cleveland center fielder? I don't actually know. It's gonna be sad, whoever it is. Um, it is the uh, the Mets agreed to a deal with Kevin Pillar. John, do you like the fit for them? I, I, I like it. It's weird because they already signed Albert Almora, who's a mm. good defender but can't hit and is right-handed. And now they signed Pilar, who is a worse defender but a better hitter and is also right-handed. So I'm not really sure how they plan on the... The thing with the Mets outfield is how exactly is all the playing time out there going to shake out? I mean, Conforto is pretty much locked into to right field. And it seems like left field is going to be some I guess it's going to be Dom Smith because they they probably the Mets probably want his bat in the lineup but they have Pete Alonso at first base and without the universal DH they can't just slot one of them there um, I assume J.D. Davis will also get playing time out there and then in center you have Brandon Nimmo but now you also have Almora and Pilar who kind of filled this not quite the same role Pilar is a better hitter Almora is a better defender but to me it's just kind of strange that you know because like, they don't complement each other because you can't you can't turn them into a platoon. So unless the idea is Pilar is kind of your general fourth outfielder and Almora is your general fifth outfielder, and maybe that's not the worst decision because late ga- late in games with leads, you're probably going to want to put Pilar and uh, Almora both in the game in place of Nimmo and whoever's in left, be it Smith or Davis, they're both bad defenders. But to me, it just seems like this seems like a more complicated solution than just signing Jackie Bradley Jr., which it seems like the Mets have given up on. And I understand that signing Pilar probably reflects the fact that Brad that Bradley Jr. is asking for more money than the Mets feel comfortable giving him. And on the one hand, I understand that. But on the other hand, I thought the whole point of the Steve Cohen Mets was that money wasn't going to be a factor anymore. That they were just going to get the best player for the position regardless of how much it costs. Because, well, that's how you win. Is you, you just sign the best, you get the best players you can, and you worry about the rest later. You know, it just seems like it'd be way easier for every part for everyone involved for Jackie Bradley Jr. to be there instead of just having Pilar and Almora just kind of rotate in oddly. Although I guess if if the Mets are committed to having Nimmo, Dominic Smith, and Conforto all in the lineup on a regular basis, and Pete Alonso, without the universal DH, I guess there's not really much they can do unless they plan on benching Smith and Nemo semi-regularly. So I don't like, I, I mean, I guess it, I guess if this is, if, th- if that is what they want to do, then Pilar and Elmore makes sense. It's just fourth and fifth outfielders that they can just plug in late in games. If they just want Nemo and Smith and then I guess occasionally JD Davis out there regardless, but it does feel like the easiest solution in terms, in terms of like the best player was Jackie Bradley jr. Although I do suppose that the Mets particular, I mean, this is just kind of the problem with the Mets. Their particular configuration is just really complicated to, to figure out because they have more hitters than they really have spots for them. They, they more than I think any other National League team, really need the national, really need the universal DH so they can put, um, so they can just flip Dom Smith and Pete Alonso between first base and DH as needed. And then 
you know, open left field up, move Nimmo over there, and then sign Bradley as a true center fielder. But that does not seem to be in the cards. And so, you know, the the only real solution, I guess, after that is to do something like what's, what they're doing now, which is get a couple of backup outfielders who are defensively sound and can, and in the case of Pilar, can handle themselves at least a little bit at the plate, but who you don't have to worry about. You know, the, you, you're not, you don't want them starting unless something goes wrong. Yeah, and I also just think that there is something to just building out a lot of depth where they're like, well, yeah, maybe both of these guys just won't be here for a full season and we just we would rather be in a situation where we're not scrambling um, as we make a pennant chase that we just... I, I would, they would rather have too much than not enough, I think. Yeah, and that's, and that's sensible too, and that's something we haven't really seen from the Mets a whole right. lot in years past, actual depth. So yeah, this is, this is a good depth move for them because when something invariably happens to... Um, one of those three regular outfielders, you know, now they have a major league caliber player who can step in one way or the other. Like, no, you don't want uh, Pilar or Almora starting for you on the regular, but that's way better than having to drag up the equivalent of uh, Matt Dendecker or Travis or what's his name, uh, Kirk Neuenheis, like the Mets have done in years past, and hoping that they're somehow going to be acceptable when more likely than not, they're just not. No. But uh, we uh, we shall see what happens there. Um, Justin Wilson signs with the Yankees. We've talked about the Yankees and their uh, their depth in the pitching department. Um, does this move uh, interest you at all? I mean, it's interesting insofar as this this bullpen seems to have a lot of variety to it. I mean, it's mm-hmm. got you've got the the weird the weird heat that is Chapman. You've got uh, Britain's power sinker. You've got Chad Green's fastball slider combo. You've got Darren O'Day submarining from the right side. Now you've got Wilson from the left side. I mean, he's not a submariner, but you know, it, this Yankees bullpen, I, it seems to me like they're trying to follow kind of the template that the Rays set last year, which is a bullpen that isn't so much about different um, – isn't so much about overpowering you, but is, is so much is about different looks. And we saw a lot of that with the way they would use Aaron Loop or Ryan Thompson or other guys who come at you from so many different arm angles. And I, I don't, I don't know Wilson's arm angle off the top of my head, um, but I do have to imagine that you know a bullpen. I, I do wonder if the Yankees are kind of following that path of we want a bullpen where you're just seeing something not not just seeing something different in terms of stuff and in terms of handedness every time, where you're seeing something different in terms of arm angle, in terms of where the where the ball is coming from, in terms of you know, just just something to keep hitters from getting any kind of balance against it. You know, it's already hard enough for hitters to find consistency against relief pitching. Uh, I think something like you know something like what the Yankees are doing with this you know mix of handedness and arm angles and all that other fun stuff makes it that much tougher. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if that's fine. Otherwise, I mean, Wilson is a perfectly fine uh, kind of generic bulk lefty to have in your bullpen because you know certainly he's not the guy who's going to handle um, high leverage innings, or at least I can't imagine that being the case when they have Zach Britton already there, but he's definitely a guy you can toss out in the middle innings, and he's definitely a guy who you can feel, I think, com- relatively comfortable with facing uh, not just not just obviously left-handers, but also facing right-handers, too. For sure. Um, last couple of quick notes here on uh, some more uh, bargain bin signings. Justin Turner back to Los Angeles. We flirted with the idea of putting him in Oakland or a situation like that where he made more sense perhaps but um the Dodgers keep Justin Turner and speaking of depth I mean just another piece to uh keep their 
momentum going and to keep them on the right track for uh, a potential repeat, right? Yeah, and I think this is probably the least surprising uh, reunion yeah. of the off season. I think. I mean, I know we talked about you know maybe maybe the Braves, maybe some other team, but I think it was always going to be the Dodgers. They're, they're the team that just makes the most sense for a guy who is, you know, a very high tier hitter and a good player overall, but someone who is not the best at staying on the field and staying healthy. And the Dodgers are probably best suited out of any team in baseball to, if Turner goes down for an extended period of time, either use someone internally, be it, you know, maybe it's, I, I don't know if Gavin Lux has played much third, but more likely than not it's Edwin Rios, but maybe there is someone like Lux that can plug in there. You know, they have options. Um, or, you know, who can just go out and get some, get a better player if Turner's going to be out for an extended period of time. So, yeah, I, I think this it, that obviously makes sense. It's a good match. Turner's still you know, still a very good hitter, even as it gets older. Um, and I, I think this is just the one that made the most sense. I'm a little surprised no one else really jumped in, but I also imagine, too, that Turner more likely not wanted to stay in Los Angeles, all things being equal. So it's just a matter of getting the right offer so that he could. Yeah. I, um, it, it's, that's all you can really say. Just seems about right. Last one, James Paxson, speaking of things seeming right, on his way back to Seattle um along with ken giles seattle jerry depoto just signing some guys trademark john taylor jerry depoto does love signing his guys doesn't mm-hmm. he, he loves, loves trading for him like signing them he loves he or, loves the interaction or the interactions the transactions if you will he's a big transactions he guy that said i mean when it comes to paxton and giles like they're pretty low they're pretty low risk moves and in, in both cases and that you know they didn't cost much paxton was Eight and a half million. I forget what Giles was, but it wasn't much more. And Giles isn't even going to pitch this year. Um, he, he'll be a he'll be a factor for 2022 and beyond. So in that regard, I mean, I think with Paxton, the the idea is there to raise the floor of the of the rotation because Paxton is a really high ceiling guy. Mm-hmm. It's a good move, at least for the fans too, that you bring back someone who the fans like, who they care about, who they have already have a connection to. It does help you fill some innings in your rotation. And if Paxton does really does pitch really well in the first half of the season and Seattle is far out of it, maybe they could move him at the deadline and have him be an impact guy somewhere else and get some prospects back. So I think it makes sense for Seattle. Uh, and Likewise, Giles, I think, makes sense as someone who can contribute when that team is a little closer to contention. I, I don't really, I don't think anyone, I know we'll, we'll probably talk about the Mariners at some point in the next couple of weeks, but it, that doesn't really feel like a team that's all that close right now. I, I think I'm also not sure what they're doing. Like the Mariners one's no, going to be like, I just don't even know what this team's and, and that's the thing, is. even beyond even beyond Paxson and Giles, like I, I got no problem with either of those signings. But if you're a Mariners fan, you're sitting there being like, wasn't the whole idea supposed to be that we were going to be contending by now? Yes. And instead, our offseason consists of a one-year pillow contract for a guy who probably won't crack 120 innings and an incentive deal for a reliever we're not going to see till next year. Like, that's our offseason? You know, it, it does really feel like the Mariners have very slow played um, their rebuild in terms of, you know, They've just been very quiet the last few years. And I get that that's kind of part of the rebuild playbook because, you know, you see it with the Orioles, you see it with the Tigers. There's not really a point in making those big signings in those immediate years right after you start to tear it down because, well, then why did you tear it down in the first place? But it it does really feel like we are, you know, the the Mariners' rebuild has kind of, I don't want to say it's lost the plot. I think this year will probably go a long way toward determining what direction it heads. But it does feel like things have slowed down or at least not really matched the public pronouncements of Jerry DePoto in terms of when Mariners fans can accept to see a contender again, which is, of course, all the more frustrating for Mariners fans because, you know, they haven't seen a playoff team in two decades. You know, so, so on one hand, it's like, well, what's what's another year or two? But on the other hand, it's like, 
don't these folks like shouldn't these folks get a playoff team at some point like how long can you really keep putting this off so to speak you know at some point you have to move especially you know it's worth wondering how when is the al west going to be this open again maybe next year maybe you know maybe it is maybe this is there's room for a new team going forward but this is definitely a year where the division is I don't know about wide open. I mean, we talked about Houston last week, and I think we both agree that Houston's a good team, but they're certainly not a juggernaut anymore. No, you know, there is an they're going the other here. way. They're, they're, yeah, they're, I think, yeah, I think we talked about that. You know, there's a, a brief window here in between Houston's, you know, where Houston's current core is kind of starting to age out, and their farm system isn't really producing anything yet to replace them, where, you know, there's a vulnerability there. And similarly with the A's kind of taking this offseason off, and the Angels, uh, which I know we're going to get into them. They're their own problem. But it definitely feels like there is a window there for another team to get aggressive and kind of move up. But instead, the Mariners are just sticking to whatever this plan is, mm-hmm. where they're going to be bad this year, but maybe next year they'll be okay. I don't know. I think less. I think for me it's less about what are the Mariners doing and more what is the timeline at this point. You know, I think you could. I think if you were to ask Jerry Depoto, he would probably say at this point we're waiting for Jared Kalenic and Julio Rodriguez to get here because mm-hmm. they're going to be the core of whatever we do going forward, along with, um, along with guys like Evan White, uh, maybe Justice Sheffield, uh, the other you know the other top draft picks they've made, the other prospects they've gotten. You know, I, I think it's probably just a waiting game, and certainly losing the entire minor league season last year probably threw a wrench into things. But it does just feel like Seattle is missing an opportunity here to try to get better at a time when it does really feel like somewhere in the neighborhood of 85 to 89 wins could probably take the West. I guess the question at that point is, does the Seattle roster, even if they had made a bunch of moves this winter, actually get you to that point? And I mean, that's a whole, like I said, when we get to the Mariners, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about what paths they could have taken, but you know, it's at least getting back to the topic at hand like i like paxton i like giles but i do just wonder kind of what is the timeline right now for seattle because it it does feel a little unclear yeah um speaking of unclear the los angeles angels john taylor um yeah that's where we're at in the alos preview slash review series on this very podcast um billy epler i feel like you and i before last season uh posited that uh it did not look good for billy epler to retain his job that uh if we had to guess he would not be the angels general manager in 2021 and uh let me check my notes here he is not the general manager in 2021 the angels pulled from uh my atlanta braves um to rebuild their front office do you like what they have done what Artie marino has done um on that front at least I mean, they had to make a change because clearly what Epler was doing wasn't working. Um, that I, I think we talked a little before in, in seasons previous about this kind of bargain bin approach to free agency. Mm-hmm. I imagine hampered in large part because of the contract uh, given out to Albert Pujols and how that's just kind of hung over the franchise for going on a decade now, um, up until last winter when they gave a lot of money to Anthony Rendon. But otherwise, it just seemed like Epler was just kind of tooling around at the margins with reclamation projects and one-year guys and, and so on and so forth, as opposed to really investing in the players who make a difference. Because the truth is, I mean, a roster with Mike Trout and a healthy Shohei Otani, really, that's not one where you really need to be tinkering around the edges. That's one where you need, like, you already have a leg up. You know, you need to add impact to that because otherwise you're wasting the. Like, I think that's the thing. Billy Epler lost his job as much as anything else for wasting numerous years, the the best years of Mike Trout's career. You know, without a doubt. 
And that's a crime, and he should have been probably let go a while ago. <laughs> that's and a I'm crime. Not surprised. <laughs> I'm not surprised that at the same time that when it came to picking a new GM, that Moreno went for a guy in Perry Manassian, who, coming from the Braves organization, is used to both working with a limited budget, because that's what the Braves do, but also good at internally filling holes and using homegrown options to do stuff. Because if not, I mean, if, if nothing else, the Braves get have gotten and deserve high marks for being able to do that year in and year out. And Manassian, as part of the player development side over there, has presumably played a very large role in making that happen. So I'm not surprised that you know if 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 Moreno's looking back on the last you know let's say six years of of, of the Angel of what the Angels have done and seeing okay, you know our farm system has not really produced a whole lot of talent. We are not we are not doing well in terms of player development. Guys who come here don't really seem to get better. Um, the free agents we sign don't perform as well as we thought they would. You know, we're, we're signing a lot of, we're, we're forced to fill roster holes with a lot of cheap veterans who are just aren't very good. Like we need to re, we need to undergo a change in how we do things. And that probably starts internally in terms of better player development and better drafting. And if that's the case, then Manassian makes sense. At the same time, though, you know, you, you obviously can't ignore the major league side of things. And I do think the Angels probably could have stood to be a little more aggressive this winter. Um, I think the big one that they'll probably miss, or at least that they missed out on, so to speak, is Trevor Bauer. You know, hate him or love him, I'm not a fan, but Bauer would have made this rotation much better. And I think that's something where, you know, and, you know, pitching has always been the bugaboo of this team, or at least the, the longstanding one for the last few years. So, you know, wouldn't it make sense to sign the best pitcher out there? Although I can't imagine, too, there's that complication of, well, we just gave Anthony Rendon a ton of money. Now you want us to give a ton of money to Trevor Bauer, too? Like, you know, our payroll can't really support that. I mean, maybe it can, maybe it can't. But, you know, I I get the sense that that's, you know, that's the thing where it it does seem like instead of, and I know we're going to get to the rotation in a little bit, Instead of going for the best guy they could get there, they've kind of just, you know, decided, okay, why don't we just staple together two cheaper pitchers and that'll hopefully help and maybe do a six man rotation thing. But I mean, I, I don't hate what the Angels have done this offseason. Um, for the most part, I, I think Manassian is kind of, you know, he's been, gi- on the one hand, he's been given the, the blessing that is Mike Trout on his roster. On the other hand, there are a lot of holes to fill in this, on this roster otherwise. And I think he's done pretty well targeting players, especially um, who might be, you know, who are, whose contracts are a little overpriced for what they are, but where they can kind of pay it down and use those players to fill kind of the backfill holes. You know, some guys like Dexter Fowler or Alex Cobb or Jose Iglesias, where they basically just buy them off of other teams um, because they could use them. And I think that's, you know, if you have financial leverage, if you have financial flexibility, that's a good way of using it. It's just we'll buy off your still useful veterans whom you just don't want to pay anymore. And, you know, I, I think that's, I think that's relatively smart. I just think that it works best if you're coupling it with, Oh, and we're going to sign one really good player too, because you can't just, you know, th- this angels team last year won what, uh, or would have, I guess not one because it was a 60 game season, but the angels last year won, uh, 27, 26? Yeah, 26, 26 games out of 60, which is a winning percentage of 433, which would have been 70 wins over a full season. This, is not a, this was not a good team last year. And I don't really know that simply adding Alex Cobb and Dexter Fowler and Jose Iglesias raises the floor or the ceiling all that much. 
compared to, say, signing Bauer or a combination of – again, I don't know the finances. We never know. But it does feel like, you know, if you're the Angels, you know, why can't – you know, why, does it make more sense to splurge on a combo of Trevor Bauer and George Springer and figure the rest out later? Or does it make more sense to get a combination of, like, Alex Cobb and Jose Quintana and Jose Iglesias and Dexter Fowler and just kind of hope that the, the pieces already on the roster will be enough and that it, it does just feel like at this point that the Angels are kind of just killing time until Pujols' contract is up. I, I wonder if that's maybe the main driver here. But again, not knowing the finances, like I can't say for sure. It just does feel it just does feel to me like this is a team where, especially again, you know, with the West as open as it is, this may have been the time to do another Rendon style addition. Yep. You know, raise the floor and the ceiling at the same time. And again, in while while Mike Trout still has a prime left. We don't know, obviously, how you know what Mike Trout's decline is going to look like or when it's going to start, but it's inevitable. You know, it will have to happen at some point. And every year that passes is theoretically at least one year closer to that starting. You know, you 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 don't have an indefinite window of contention with Mike Trout. You only have so much time. And to me, it just feels like, well, then make the most of it. You know, I understand why the Angels have done what they've done. It just does feel like they could do more. And I. And again, barring an ability to see the books, like I, it remains kind of curious as to why they don't do more. I think we got to trust Artie Marino on this front. Um, do you estimate the Angels are still close? Um, because when you look at their yacht, their pitching last year, I was struck by two things with the Angels. One, how good Rand- Rendon really was for the Angels last year and how good him and Trout are figured to be for the next several years. Um, but also just like they hit really well. They had a lot of guys who you would not necessarily have believed would pop the way they did, especially in terms of WRC plus, but like the young pitching solid FIPs across the board. Like you looked around and you're like, not a lot of disasters. There's only one disaster in the starting pitching front. And, um, it's old friend Julio Tehran, who I, I knew was bad last year, but goodness, just an absolute train wreck in Los Angeles last year. Um, pour one out yeah. for our old friend and perpetual opening day starter Julio Tehran. But um, yeah, that uh, it was just interesting because I I feel like I I did not suspect to um, see the kind of numbers that I saw when perusing the Angels numbers from last season. Well, I think with the Angels, it's a very much it's a or at least last year was very much a stars and scrubs approach. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously Trout and Rendon were excellent and. You know, they got some good contributions out of the likes of Tommy LaStella. And David Fletcher looks like a, a, an up-and-coming young guy they can probably bank on going forward. I think what will be really interesting to see this year is what comes out of Jared Walsh and Max Stassi in particular. Um, Stassi is currently lined up as the starting catcher. doesn't really have any competition in that in that regard other than, you know, how you feel about Anthony Bemboom, which is just a fantastic name. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess they have Kurt Suzuki now, but... Suzuki at this point in his career is very much just veteran backup. He's not a guy you really want playing a full, uh, well, I was going to say playing a full slate. He's also so, not really someone I think you want to have a whole conversation with. Uh, no, no, <laughs> not really, no. Um, but the thing is, like, again, like I noted, like the, the problem with the Angels, they had to plug so many holes with so many below average options. I mean, you mentioned Tehran just as, as one of them. But, you know, they're, they're, they're out there giving starts to the likes of Jose Suarez and Dylan Peters and Matt Andres. And, like, you know, they, they, have, they gave 
166 plate appearances to a below-average Justin Upton, 106 plate appearances to a very bad Luis Rangifo, who, again, the Dodgers could have traded for Jock Peterson and Ross Stripling in one of the most baffling non-moves I think I've ever seen in the last few years. Um, I don't, I mean, again, like th- this team was only a little bit better than its record, in large part because the lineup just didn't really hit for a while. Um, Pujols continues to be just a, a vacuum. Otani just obviously, I think obviously we, we talked about last week, a lot of this, a lot of the Angels' success going forward, I feel like depends on how healthy Shohei Otani is and what he can add. Um, because having him as a third hitter behind Trout and Rendon really does give you a lineup you can work with. Part of that too is going to be Joe Adele, who looked really bad in his major league debut and maybe needs a little more time at the minor league level, but is still, you know, a top flight prospect going forward. And then some of that is just better pitching development. Obviously, they, you know, the the Angels did great work in turning Dylan Bundy back into a viable starter. You know, Griffin Canning has shown flashes. Jaime Correa has shown flashes. Andrew Haney, I think at this point, is probably just a league average starter. But there's nothing wrong with that. And then you add in guys like Quintana and Cobb, who have that. Uh, had that success in the past, you know, certainly have the tools to be successful again. But again, just a lot of it is going to depend on how well you can develop these players. I think the other thing you kind of worry about too with the Angels pitching wise is the bullpen. Um, there's not a whole lot of like ha- of like high end talent there right now. Um, I know they got Rice Iglesias, and I thought that was a good trade for them to pick him up in what's basically a salary dump by the by the Reds. But otherwise, the rest of that bullpen is. It feels pretty suspect to me. There's not a whole lot of kind of high upside in a lot of these guys. I think Mike Mayers is probably their best returning reliever. And after that, it's kind of a lot of question marks as to, you know, health and performance. But I guess it's a thing. Like, I, I just look at this roster overall, and just right now it feels very 500 to me, you know? Which is a shame uh, it, because it, we have to bring it all back in the context of what the ALS looks like this year. And they're was an opening and there's just no reason for a team that employs Anthony Rendon, Shohei Otani and Mike Trout to be this just kind of bleh, this middle of the road. And um, I, I don't well, know. Otani, Otani, at least you can, you can understand with the injuries. He just yes. hasn't been able to stay healthy. And if, and if that's the case, then that's the case. Um, but for everyone else, it, it just does like, again, this is where the, the struggles in player development really kind of rear their head because, you know, Andrew Haney has turned out to be pretty much league average. Obviously, there's nothing they could have done about something like Tyler Skaggs. That's, you know, a tragedy beyond their control. But, you know, their rotation is going to have... Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Two homegrown guys. One is Haney, who, as I've mentioned already multiple times, is pretty much league average. The other is Griffin Canning, who can't stay healthy. Their bullpen has a fair number of homegrown guys, but they aren't particularly good. You know, obviously Trout is a, a fantastic example of player development gone right. But beyond that, you know, the other success stories there are David Fletcher and maybe Jared Walsh. You know, this team has just had to import constantly and because it doesn't spend big in the free agent market, except for every now and again, you know, it's, it's had to fill with options like Dexter Fowler and Jose Iglesias, who are fine. They're good players, but they're pretty much league average players. You know, you, you just don't have a lot of upside because you're not targeting the players who do have a lot of upside. 
you're just hoping that the players already there who have upside discover it. And a lot of that is just them staying healthy or productive. But I don't know. I, I, I just, again, you just, you, you look at this angels roster and you just feel like, okay, you know, I, I don't even know if dark horse contender makes sense because I mean, if they finish around 500, they will be a contender, but like, this just doesn't have the feel of a team that does really anything more than play around 500 and kind of hang around the edges of the wild card race for a little bit. You know, there, there's just not enough total talent and they're still just trying to backfill long existing roster holes um, with kind of, you know, with whatever veterans they can kind of get their hands on. Yeah. And it, we're at the bottom of the barrel now. Like, I don't really know. Is there anybody left over that they could still um, sign that would intrigue you at all? Not that I can think of. I mean, rotation-wise, no one no one who's still available as a starting pitcher really makes any difference over who they already have. Yeah. I think if you're looking at, you know, where are the holes on this team currently, um, left field is still a problem. It, you know, just an, Justin Upton has aged in dog years the last couple seasons mm-hmm. and just, does, just seems to be approaching the edge of the cliff. Um uh, catcher, I think, is an open question mark as to whether or not Stassi can hold the job down there. First base with Jared Walsh, I think, is an open question. He's but th- I don't really though. think they're – he was good. And th- they were both good last year, and I think it's in- I think it behooves the Angels to see what's there in a full-time basis. Yeah. Dexter um, Fowler is now in the mix, which is interesting. I yeah, think. I definitely have Dexter Fowler. I-, I don't really see anything where anyone they could add right now would make enough of an impact because – it's very unlikely that anyone you pluck off the off free agency at this point is a better outfielder than, say, Dexter Fowler, or really gives you any more catcher than Stassi theoretically could. I think maybe bullpen wise, there might you might want to kick around and see what's out there. I think Trevor Rosenthal would make a lot of sense for this team as he would for a fair number of others. Just as kind of another you know semi dependable relief arm, because this isn't a team like Houston where they just have a lot of pitchers in the farm system they can just kind of throw at at whatever bullpen problems that exist, um, this team's bullpen is already pretty mediocre. Mm-hmm. And it could stand to get a fair amount better. I just don't really know how, because realistically the best reliever on the market is either Rosenthal or Tyler Clippard. And fine, you could do a lot worse than those guys, but they're also, I, I guess another another situation, it's like why why aren't, weren't the, I guess, you know, they got Rice Lee Glaciers is fine, but why not also be in on the likes of, say, Brad Hand? Or, um, you know, make Greg Holland's not the best, but like, you know, why not see what you can, what, whether or not what Trevor, you know, could they have not beat what the Mets offered Trevor May? You know, the, it just feels like they're, the bullpen in particular is something where the Angels, once they got Iglesias, are kind of like, okay, that's as far as we feel, like, really feel like going. And I don't really know that I understand that because, again, this, this is not a, it doesn't look like a particularly good bullpen to me. No, I don't think so. Um, but like we've always said on this podcast, like if the bullpen's your biggest concern going into a season, things are pretty good. But um, I think they also have a, a myriad of other concerns. And I also wonder too yeah. with Dexter Fowler if part of the thinking there was we bring him in and maybe this will help Joe Adele because I think Joe Adele is going to start the season in the minors. Um, and if that's Probably, the case, yeah. then maybe you want to have a pros pro guy who's won a world series, a guy who just knows how to be a, a quality outfielder and a guy who brings it every day. Like, I wonder if that's part of it is just to have that veteran there. So when Adele does get called back up next year, um, that, uh, he'll have somebody like Fowler to go to and to help 
right? Is that it? I wonder if that's part of their no, thinking. No, that, that makes sense. I, I, I agree with that. I, I hadn't particularly thought of that, but I think, yeah, between Fowler and Upton, Adele certainly has plenty of veteran, and obviously Trout has plenty yeah. of veteran guys who kind of, you know, show them the ropes. And I do think that makes sense that, you know, what the Angels saw out of Adele last year probably convinced them, even if he, even if last year was a weird, fluky, bad season that kind of screwed people up, we need to have some kind of insurance policy in place, you know, and, we, and make him kind of earn the job. Maybe it wouldn't be the worst idea for him to start in the minors, you know, make him earn it. And until he does so, to have a guy in Fowler who is certainly not a star anymore, but can at least hold the fort down for a little bit. Um, yeah, it, it's just ultimately, though, it's just like the, the ceiling for this team doesn't feel particularly high uh, because the guys who make who kind of make that ceiling high are either already in place in the form of Trout and Rendon, and we already know what they could do, or it's guys like Otani where it depends a lot on health. You know, otherwise it's, Confidence. I think that's what I think that's kind of what the Angels are kind of made their offseason about was just baseline confidence. I just think they probably could have stood to add some some upside along there too because it's not just all about like you know plugging holes, which clearly the Angels had to do. It's about upgrading the entire I guess ship to keep this metaphor going. Um, and I'm just not sure that they really did that this offseason. But again, I, I I don't know what the financial aspects were, and I you know I don't know if Bauer was ever a realistic consideration for them especially given and i know this is a very complicated subject but especially given the fact that bauer had a very bad relationship with mickey calloway when they were both in cleveland um and i know now obviously calloway is almost certainly not going to be a part of whatever the angels do going forward but you know i, I don't know how maybe bauer wasn't a realistic option maybe springer was, maybe these guys just were not realistic options for them but it still does feel like the angels could have done more this offseason to to raise the floor for this team a little higher yeah well, last thing on the Angels, and we'll wrap up here, John. Um, what do you what do you like in the pipeline? Are you? I guess this is a combination. I think a lot of it depends on Adele. But um, what do you make of their pipeline, and uh, where do you where do you see the Angels? Is there anyone um, baseball fans should be looking out for in this pipeline this season and the coming seasons? Uh, I think Adele is probably the big one. Um, Brandon Marsh, maybe. I mean, he. I don't think he's played above high A ball. Um, you know, he actually, he reached double A in 2019, obviously didn't play last year, was at the alternate site. Um, maybe someone who can help if things go sideways and if he looks good in double A again. Uh, otherwise, otherwise it, it's mostly Adele, and that's understandable. I mean, the guy's a, you know, was a, you know, was a number one overall, is, is the number one prospect in the system. You know, has shown or you know obviously showed hyper athletic flashes last year, but not the total package. And I think everyone else is is still either pretty far away or you know not really in a position to you know make a, a maximum impact. I think it really is Adele. I mean, otherwise, guys already on the roster. I think if Canning stays healthy, he's a he's a good bet to, to contribute. Obviously, Otani, if he stays healthy, is a very good bet. Um, Jaime Berea looked very pretty good last year. I, I think he's mostly in a, in a long relief role now, but you know certainly an, an option there as a kind of fill-in starter. But it's it pretty much is Adele. I'll be very interested to see what happens with him if he can kind of come back from a from a rough start last season. But yeah, I mean I I really just like Joe Adele. So that, that's who I'm willing. That's all I'm waiting to see. All right. Well, hopefully it works out there because more young, good players is always a good thing. Um, and it'd be fun to see him and Trout be awesome uh, for the next several years. Um, last thing, and we'll wrap up here, John. Yourfangraphs.com. I I forgot to mention this at the top of the show, and I want to mention it very quickly here. 
um, announced their postseason projection odds. Have you perused these yet, John? I mean, we had them out last week, so I've been taking a look at them okay. for a bit. Uh, shouts to MLB for for pushing them out there. Yeah. So I haven't um, seen them yet. I, this is um, Braves fans. I'm going to guess are not going to react well to some of this. Uh, no, we have the Braves. Um, Sixty-seven percent. Yeah. So the yeah. NL East has. So they have the Mets is the best chance to win the NL East. Cardinals barely over the Brewers in the NL Central. The NL West is still really close with the Dodgers and Padres ninety-six and ninety-two percent. Uh, the AL West. Astros, 71%. Angels, the team we had talked about here, 37%. The A's at 21. Interesting. Um, the Twins and White Sox, neck and neck at 65 and 60. The Indians all the way down there at 17%. And then the biggest stunner to me is your AL East, John, because now you're going to have to buy yeah. back in. You're going to have to buy back in on your Boston Red Sox, who have a 47% chance of making the postseason just below the Blue Jays at 53%. So the, the Tampa Bay Rays, 18%. Just very fascinating. Very, very interesting. Yeah, and I, I, I can't say exactly what goes into that. I'm not smart enough to know what the numbers are um, or really how it all gets put together. We've definitely had a bunch of annoyed Rays fans, but I think Rays fans on the whole just seem to be kind of just perpetually annoyed. Um, yeah, I, I think... I think what the idea with Boston is that, you know, if people are healthy and others kind of produce up to their, up to their previous level, you know, we're talking like, you know, if Chris sale is back and if Eduardo Rodriguez is back and if JD Martinez hits more like JD Martinez, you know, then you're looking at an improvement over last year. And especially too, because I think, I think generally, and and no, we talked about this, but this when we did the Red Sox, Boston should be better this year than last year. I just, I just don't see them as any better than 500 though. I mean, that, that's my own disagreement with the odds. I think the Rays are probably better than, than they're being given credit for. But, you know, it's those numbers are also going to change a fair amount, too, I'm sure, especially, you know, with whatever schedule weirdness ends up happening because of the because of the season. But I, I, I'm not totally down on the Red Sox. I just don't really see them as a playoff team unless a lot of stuff goes right. Yeah. Well, let's hope that that's the case for your for your sanity, John. Um Anything that you would like to uh, plug as we wrap up here on this Tuesday edition of uh, the podcast? Uh, just for any of your listeners who are not regular Fangraphs readers or who haven't stopped by the site in a bit, we are currently amid Prospects Week, which is our big focus on all things minor leagues and farm system, including our top 100 prospects list, which comes out on Wednesday. Uh, we've already had draft ranking updates, international player ranking updates. We're gonna have tons more stuff about prospects week or about prospects this week. So uh, ju- jump on over to Fangraphs if you care about the minor leagues, if you care about prospect rankings, any of that stuff. Give it a look. Uh, and if you are there and you like what you see, sign up for a Fangraphs membership starting at three dollars a month or fifty dollars a year for ad free. Go do that. It's a great website that I check every single day. So go do that if you have not already john we can follow you at j a taylor on twitter follow myself at chase underscore thomas and uh for that guy up there in manhattan new york for myself down here in knoxville tennessee that is all i've got my friend thank you as always for making the time sir and uh we will be back next tuesday where we'll talk about oh no mariners or rangers john like mariners or rangers I, I think- is our job I think let's 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 go Mariners. I mean, okay. the Rangers. The, the thing with the Rangers is I don't really know what more there is to say beyond that rebuild was a disaster. Their their attempted skinny rebuild. 
you know, they, they just, they just kind of exist now. I, I have to imagine that front office has kind of shrugged its shoulders and gone, well, what are you going to do? You know, at this point now, it does feel like a more kind of typical rebuild where it's like, well, young guys, prospects, you know, in an interesting signings, you know, it's, that team's not going to contend, but let, let's talk about the Mariners. Let's talk about what Seattle, what Seattle wants. All right. We'll do it. John, thank you as always, my friend. And we will talk next week. I'm good. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas podcast. Hell yeah. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.